If not, today is your day. All right, you can be seated. Brother Bill. If you've got a sermon outline, would you hold it up for me? Great. Everybody's got one. If you'll notice on the back of it, there it tells where the R team will be meeting this Tuesday. Uh, it's so good to know that GROW, our outreach ministry, has gotten off to such a great start. We had about eight or nine businesses. Is that right, Kathy? About eight or nine businesses, uh, 15 or 20 cards were sent. Uh, it's just a great way to reach out into our community, and we're just getting started. So you'll notice that if your name appears there, we're looking forward to seeing you on Tuesday at 6 o'clock. Now, you can come anytime you want. We're looking forward to anytime uh, having just a great visitation team. So also notice, though, that there is no GPS this Saturday, okay? No GPS this Saturday. Uh, also, Miss Isla Pearl, where you at? Raise your hand, Miss Isla Pearl. Stand up, please. Miss Isla Pearl is one of the youngest ladies we have at church here, and she's got a birthday coming up this coming Tuesday. She's going to be, you want to tell them or you want me to tell them? <laughs> All right, you, cl- you plug your ears and listen. 88. Anyway, we want to sing happy birthday to Miss Isla Pearl. Let's sing. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, God bless you. Happy birthday to you. Amen. And also, if I could, I'd like to get Nick, John, Rory, and David to stand up for me. Good deal. These are our oldest young people, and they don't know the choreography to the songs that we're singing at Awana, even though they've been here forever. So, Miss Leela, if it would be all right with you, I would like for you to pay them some special attention so they can learn the choreography to our songs, and that way next time they can participate. If you agree with me, church, would you just give a hand? All right, y'all can sit down. Good deal. I love you guys. So you're going to get embarrassed one way or the other, so you might as well just go ahead and do it, right? All right, I love you. All right, good to see y'all here today. I pray again that you've come expecting a blessing, expecting some way where you might be challenged, where you might be changed by the Word of God. And I just want to begin with a question asking you, would you agree with me that in today's world, there's too much that's distracting us from God and not enough attracting us to God? Would you believe that? Amen. You know, we often speak of the worldly distractions that we face as believers. But today, and listen carefully, today I want to tell you about the greatest distraction that most Christians face. The distraction that has kept so many people, so many Christians from truly knowing God. The distraction that has kept so many Christians, so many people from truly loving God for a large portion of their lives. This greatest distraction is church. The greatest distraction that keeps people from growing in the Lord is church. You see, there are so many Christians that won't grow spiritually because they have what's called a Sunday morning religion. 
There's so many Christians that won't grow spiritually because they don't read their Bibles through the week. So many Christians that don't grow spiritually because they don't pray. They don't know how to pray, much less pray effectively. And they think all they got to do, show up for church on Sunday morning, maybe Sunday school. But you know what that really shows? It shows they really haven't fallen in love with God. It shows that they really don't get it. In my opinion, the only way to change this trend is for us as Christians to bring people's focus back on a relationship with God. Not on religion, not on duty, not on what I'm supposed to do, but to bring the focus back on a relationship with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the only way it's going to change. And I believe that when people truly learn of God's great love for them, when they truly begin to understand the great lengths that God went through in order to bring you into a relationship with Him, it'll radically change your life. But if you don't get it, you'll likely have or continue to have a Sunday morning religion. So, our goal as a church is not just to sing the songs, although they're wonderful, Brother Hal. Our goal as a church is not just to pray the prayers, which is great, Brother Allen. The goal of church is not just to preach a sermon. Our goal is not to come to this place on Sunday morning and leave here unchanged. The goal is not to, to leave this place unchallenged. The word of God should strike fear in our hearts and cause us to change. It should cause us to do something. Not because we are called to. Because we love God enough that we would want to. Our goal then as we come together, as we worship the Lord, is to have our spiritual perspective radically changed. Radically changed so that we can go out and face the world. We can face the world with the challenge of not only living for God, but telling other people about Him. That's the goal of the church. But in order to do this, we're going to have to get out of our comfort zone and go get into the battle zone. Now you've heard that everybody worships something. God has placed a seed of faith in every person, everywhere, all over the world. But what happens is, is many people in the world take that seed of faith that's been placed in them and they not only worship the false gods of Buddha and Allah and Mother Nature, but they also worship the false gods of prosperity, sex, leisure, the almighty dollar and self. Even the atheist who claims he worships no God is telling you a big fat lie. When the atheist is thankful for something that he has, who does he thank? He has no one to thank but himself. Therefore, who is his God? Himself. 
In our passage this morning, we meet a couple of real characters. One of them was a man named Ahab. And Ahab was the single most wicked king that ruled over God's people in the nation of Israel. From the time of King David to the time of King Ahab, the family of Israel had gone downhill, and I mean fast. David's son, the great King David, had a son named Solomon. You're familiar with King Solomon. Well, King Solomon had taken many foreign wives who worshipped many foreign gods, false gods. And this had a dramatic impact on the kings that followed Solomon. But I want you to notice this morning what God's word says about this King Ahab. In 1 Kings, in chapter 16, in verse 29, listen to what the word says about Ahab. In the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah, Ahab, son of Omri, became king over Israel. And Ahab, the son of Omri, reigned over Israel and Samaria 22 years. Now Ahab, son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord. More, say more, more than all who were before him. And it came to pass as though it had been trivial, a trivial thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nabat, that he took as his wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians. And he went and served Baal and worshipped him. Then he set up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal, which he had built in Samaria. This is the God's king who was doing this, okay? And Ahab made a wooden image. Ahab did more. Say more. Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel who came before him. See, Ahab thought it was a good political move to go and marry this good-looking gal named Jezebel. But Jezebel worshipped a different god. This god that Jezebel worshipped was a god named Baal. And Baal was the god, quote-unquote, the god of rain. So when Jezebel came to Israel and married the king, guess who Jezebel brought with her? This so-called God of rain, Baal. That's exactly right, this false god. And then right there in the midst of this evil reign of Ahab, we have a prophet. A prophet named Elijah who shows up, and the first thing he says to Ahab, we find in chapter 17, verse 1. And Elijah, the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead, said to Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel lives, before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years except at my word. There as he was proclaiming God's coming drought on the degenerate nation of Israel, I believe that you and I can see three ways that Elijah got out of his comfort zone and stepped into the battle zone. And if you and I will follow Elijah's example, if we'll follow his example, maybe me and you can get out of our comfort zone and step into the battle zone. Let's look. Because I don't know about you, but I want to make a difference. 
If you want to make a difference, would you raise your hand? For us to make a difference in the Bethel community, we're going to have to get out of our comfort zone and step into the battle zone. So let's first notice what Elijah did in order to do this. For the first thing that Elijah did is Elijah made a profession. Elijah professed, as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives. Say lives. Lives. Now, Elijah's name means, my God is Lord. And he was a prophet. He was a messenger sent by God. Now, friends, i got to tell you that this prophet from Tishbe don't have any clout in Samaria. This prophet from Tishbe had no clout with the king. And he certainly had no clout with this foreign queen there in Israel. It would be like me going to Washington, D.C. to go visit the president. I'd make it probably about as far as the front gate. Think about it. Can you imagine me going and telling the Secret Service, hey, I'm Brother Bill from Bethel Baptist Church, and I've got a message for the president. I wonder how far I'd get. Not that far. There ain't no way I'd get in. Why? Why wouldn't I get in? Because I ain't got no clout at the White House. Amen? I don't got much clout anywhere, but especially at the White House. So how did Elijah, this small-town prophet from Tishbe, how did he get an audience with the great king of Israel? Can I tell you that he was sent from God? Can I tell you that he was called of God? Can I tell you that he was ordained by God and that he was obedient to God and that's how he went and made it into the king's presence? Here we have a small town prophet named Elijah who was a man of God, who had a message from God, who was on a mission of God and he went in the might of God and I want to tell you, so are you. You've got a message and you're on a mission and you can go in the might of God. And I believe that if we'll follow Elijah's example, if we'll follow God's will like Elijah did, then God will do extraordinary things right here in our presence. He'll do extraordinary things right here in the midst of this little church in the Bethel community. But I don't want you to expect God to prove his power in your life if you are unwilling to follow his will for your life. If you're not willing to follow God's not going to lead you. I read a story about atheist Robert Ingersoll. And it seems that Robert Ingersoll was uh, busy doing many lectures uh, against Christ and against the Bible. And he was such a great speaker that every time he gathered people together, he always had huge crowds that would come and listen to him. One night after degrading this man of faith, this, this man who loved Jesus and knocking him down, he dramatically looked at his watch and he said, I'm going to give God a chance to prove that he's God. I'm going to give God a chance to prove that he is almighty. I'm going to challenge God to strike me dead in the next five minutes. And he began to wait. And as he waited, there was a lot of silence. And then people began to fidget a little bit. Many people began being a little bit uneasy. People started walking out a little bit nervous. There was one woman who even fainted in that five minutes. And at the end of the five minutes, that atheist exclaimed, See, there ain't no God. 
I'm still alive and well. And after that lecture, there was a young woman or a young man who said to a Christian lady, well, I guess old Ingersoll really proved something tonight, didn't he? And her reply was very memorable because she said, yeah, he did. He proved that God ain't listening to atheists tonight. Elijah professed the Lord, the God of Israel lives. He lives. And if God is alive, then King Ahab's got a lot of trouble coming. Amen. You know, the world needs to see our lives. The world needs to see how we live and be changed by the fact that God is just not the God of the dead. He's the God of the living. He's our God. And for them to be able to see that in the way we live. So we need to be about God's business. About his business of professing the truth that God changes and blesses our life today. Not just after we're gone. People need to see that. That God blesses you today. That God changes you today. In the way that you live. Not just in heaven when you're gone from this earth. And I believe that through that, those lasting character changes, I believe those lasting character changes that we profess in our lives, those lasting character changes that we profess in our attitude, in our direction, those are the things that are going to lead people to know that our God lives. That he's just not a God of the dead. But we've got to get out of our comfort zone and be willing to enter the battle zone. Not only did Elijah make a profession. Next, I want you to notice that Elijah took a position. In chapter 1, or verse 1 there again. Not only as the Lord God of Israel lives, before whom I stand. What he's saying there is, before whom I serve. Can I tell you that if you'll read the rest of this story, you will see that Elijah had a burden. He had a great burden. You see, Elijah was a servant. And in order to be a servant, we too must have a burden. If you don't have a burden for the things of God, then you will not serve God. It's kind of like when a person loses a loved one to a disease or something. And, that, and, they, and they start to vow, I'm going to start a campaign. I'm going to start a campaign to raise money or to raise awareness that will cause other people to understand. See, it's because of their loss, it's because of their pain, that they have a burden to help other people understand. It's a burden to try to prevent others from going through the pain. It's a, a burden to try to prevent others to, to just see that, that they don't have to go through the struggles and the burdens of life. That there's someone who cares for them. It reminds me of Relay for Life. First time I'd ever done that, Miss Stacy, last year. And there were hundreds, maybe thousands of people who were walking the track for cancer. Why? Either they themselves were, were spared from cancer or they knew somebody who was spared for cancer. And they had such a burden that they took a Friday night and they went and walked miles for this cause of cancer. Why? Because they had a burden. A burden that maybe through our efforts somebody else might be spared. Maybe through our efforts somebody else might be saved. 
You know, I think sometimes that it's just too easy for us to forget what God has done for us. I think sometimes it's just too easy not to consider what those around us without Christ are going through in this life. I think sometimes it's too easy for us to to go through this life and not remember what those without Christ are going to go through for all eternity if we don't have a burden. A burden for their soul. So brothers and sisters, I pray. I pray that we will have a burden for the lost. And that that burden will drive you to do something. That it will drive you to be a servant. I read about um, Jack Handy's book called Fuzzy Memories. And in that book, he, he wrote that there used to be a bully in his life. And that bully demanded his lunch money every day. And every day, because he was smaller, he gave his lunch money to that bully. Then one day, Jack said, I'm fighting back. I've had it. I'm fighting back. And so he said, I was going to start taking karate lessons. And then, just as he was getting good in the karate lessons, the karate instructor said that I had to start paying him $5 a lesson. So I just went back to paying the bully. You know, too many people, I think, feel like it's easier to pay the bully than it is to learn how to defeat the bully. I want to encourage you this morning to take a stand. Because the enemy of your soul wants you to have a Sunday morning religion. The enemy of your soul does not want you to have a burden for the lost. The enemy of your soul does not want you doing anything that's going to lead someone else to Jesus Christ. He wants you to have a Sunday morning religion. Now I want you to know that Elijah didn't go to Samaria and go before Ahab and Jezebel because he was bored. He had a burden. He didn't say, I think I'll go down there and deeply offend the king and queen today and see if I can live another day to tell about it. No. He didn't say, you know, that'll be exciting. Let's go see how mad I can make the king today. No, Elijah left his home. He left his community. He left the comfort zone. His own comfortable life for one reason. And that was that Elijah had a burden for God. He had a burden that caused him to do something about it. He had watched his own country of Israel turned to false gods, and that turned his stomach. Aren't you tired of seeing the enemy win? Does it turn your stomach to see the enemy having victory out there? Does it give you a burden to want to share Jesus Christ with them? Does that burden cause you to do something about it? Or are we content with a Sunday morning religion. Elijah heard the call of God and he decided to go do something about it. You might say, well, Brother Bill, I just just don't have the ability. I don't have the ability to share. I don't have the ability to do this grow thing. 
But can I tell you that the greatest ability is availability? It's not you anyway. It's God using you. I've always heard people say, well, you know, Brother Bill, I'm just going to live a, a silent Christian witness. I want people to see Christ in me. I want people to see Christ in how I live. Now, I believe that you should, should do that. I believe you should live out your faith in everything that we do. But too many people carry that to an extreme. And they don't back up their faith with a verbal testimony. They don't tell people about Jesus. You know why? Because they don't have a burden for God. To be an effective witness, you've got to be credible and you've got to be accountable. You've got to have credibility and you've got to have accountability. Otherwise, you won't be an effective witness. Think about in court. In a court of law, the effective witness is the one who speaks about what they saw. The effective witness is the, the one who he, speaks about what he or she has heard. The effective witness is the one who speaks about what they have experienced themselves. Otherwise, that witness can be discredited. Are you an effective witness? Not only in what you do, but in what you say. Are you an effective witness? Think about this. The Lord Jesus Christ wasn't crucified in some corner somewhere where nobody could see. The Lord Jesus Christ was strung up on a cross, nailed hand and foot in public for everybody to see so that everybody would know that he died and died a criminal's death. He was crucified in public so that everybody could see and know what he'd done for them. He spoke the truth to his disciples in private. But he also spoke to the masses in public. He said in Matthew 16, 24, if anyone would come up after me, he must deny himself, get out of the comfort zone, and take up his cross and follow me, get into the battle zone. Friends, I think that it's high time for us to get out of our comfort zone. I think it's high time for us to get in the battle, get in the battle zone, and do, say do, and do what Jesus told us to do. He said, I want you to come up. I want you to fess up. I want you to take up. And I want you to follow up. Then you'll be my disciples. Got to come up after him. Put him first. Put him first. Take up our cross. And follow him. But make a public declaration that Jesus Christ is our Lord. Like Elijah, we ought to take up the position of a servant and follow Jesus. Elijah made a profession. He professed, my God lives. My God lives. 
But he also took a position, that position of a servant. Now I want you to hear that Elijah spoke a prayer. He said at the conclusion of verse 1, There will neither be dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. Now I don't know about you, but I don't hear nothing about a prayer in that conclusion. But we can't just look at one part of the Bible. We've got to look at the Bible as a whole, don't we? And if you look in James 5.17 that speaks about the power of prayer, you're, you'll hear the half-brother of the Lord Jesus Christ, James, say, Elijah was a man just like us. And he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain for three and a half years. You see, Elijah not only put his life on the line for his God, he not only put his life on the line when he went up against the gods of Jezebel, but he also put his faith on the line too. He stepped out of the comfort zone and got in the battle zone. He knew that he didn't have control of the weather, but he also knew that the one who did have control of the weather controlled him. All I can do is what I can do. All I can do is what I'm told to do. I'm getting out of the comfort zone and I'm going to get in the battle zone. And I'm going to let God use me. I got a burden for people. I got a burden. So I wondered though, how did Elijah have the guts to go and threaten King Ahab? I believe that his willingness to confront the king was a direct result of, and a byproduct of his prayer life. He prayed. Elijah prayed. And if you think about it, here's what he's praying for. Elijah was praying for a national disaster. He was praying for a three and one half year drought on the nation of Israel. Can you imagine it not raining for three and a half years? We whine pretty good when it don't rain for three and a half months or weeks. Elijah was praying that everybody in the nation would come, become as uncomfortable physically as he was spiritually. It would be like me praying tragedy on you because you're not where you're supposed to be spiritually. How'd you like that? Lord, I want you to have a drought on the church at Bethel because they're not where they're supposed to be spiritually. Would that be awful or what? I don't pray that way. I promise. It may seem like it. I'm not praying disaster on you. But I want you to know that God wants you where you should be spiritually. And to do that, you're going to have to get out of the comfort zone. You're going to have to get in the battle zone. Have you noticed that when we pray, we often pray for our own comforts? When we pray, we pray for things like home. and We pray for health. We pray for wealth. And those things tend to dominate our lives. But when those things dominate our lives, you know who the focus is on? Me. And the focus is off God. And that's what the enemy wants. The enemy of the battle in your life 
That's exactly what He wants. He wants your focus to be squarely on you. He wants your focus to be squarely on self. He wants self to be your number one concern. Because He knows that when you do that, you'll start looking at the rest of the world and say, you know what, I'm pretty mistreated. I'm mistreated. I'm not getting what I need. Everybody else is getting it, but I ain't getting it. I'm not getting good health. I'm not getting any wealth. My home life is a wreck. Well, maybe you need to start focusing on something other than self and have a burden for those that are doomed right now. You start praying and focusing on self, your world becomes a miserable place to live. And a painful existence. Because you're living in your own little world. You've got no eternal perspective. Just looking at yourself. And can I tell you, that brings pleasure to the enemy. The enemy of of the battle likes it when you focus on yourself. But God, say but God. But God. He wants you to place all your faith and all your trust in Him. He wants you to be available. He wants you to to just take a position as a servant. And He wants you to pray. He wants you to communicate so that you'll know where He's coming from. See, it's not necessarily how much faith we have. It's where are you putting the faith that you do have. Is it on self or is it on God? So my question for you this morning is, do you trust Him? Do you trust Him? Do you trust God? So what kind of people does God use? Well, first of all, He uses people who are willing to get out of the comfort zone and into the battle zone. We know that. But He also uses people who are obedient. It's so easy to make excuses for why we don't do what God's told us to do, why we don't serve Him the way we should. It's easy to make excuses. It's more difficult to be obedient. What kind of people does God use? Not only people that are obedient, but He also uses people who are willing to be involved. Remember, you've got to take a stand as a servant of God. Remember, the best ability is your availability. But not only does he use people who are obedient and people willing to be involved, but God also uses those who pray beyond their convenience. Pray when it's not convenient for you. You know, I read about one study that revealed that less than 10% of Christians, y'all hear that? Less than 10% of Christians were found to be committed to the point where they actively serve in their church. Less than 10% of Christians were committed enough to read the Bible every day. Less than 10% of Christians were committed enough to where they prayed to God daily. But it also revealed that this 10% of committed Christians were the ones that were the happiest. Have some struggles, do you? Struggling with joy in your life? Struggling with happiness? Maybe it's time to get the focus off of ourselves 
and on to God. There are so many people that don't have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. There may be some in this room right now. It's our prayer as a church family that if you don't have a relationship with God through Jesus, that today would be your day. We've got a burden for you. We're praying for you. And we want you too to become a servant of the Most High God. You see, our God lives. Amen? Our God lives. He's not just a God of the dead. He's not just a God of heaven. He's a God over our lives too. So if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ today, we invite you to make that decision. To get out of the comfort zone and step into the battle zone. Let us pray. Father, it's so easy once we become Christians to get lax. It's so easy, Lord, to become complacent, go with the flow and have just a Sunday morning religion. So Lord, I pray that your word has fallen on soft hearts and that Lord, as you mentioned, we leave this place changed and challenged to get the focus off of ourselves and focused on you. Lord, give us a burden for the lost. Lord, help us to take a stand for you. Help us to be available, obedient, involved. And Lord, if we'll just communicate with you, you'll, you'll place that burden on us. Lord, the greatest burden you have for mankind is that they come to a relationship with you through the blood of your son, Jesus Christ. There's a man or a woman or a young person here today that has not accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, Lord, speak to them like only you can. And Lord, I pray that during this song, you'd encourage them to step out, step up, and say, that's it. I'm taking a stand. I'm getting out of my comfort zone. And I'm stepping into the battle zone. And I want God to use me because I'm available. Are you willing to say, I'm available? Father, do your work your way. Do it only for your glory. And we're going to praise you. Because we know that's your desire for our lives. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen.
by knowing you. And, and it only comes by knowing you, by knowing your word and praying to you, Lord. And help us to do that every day. Lord, we uh, thank you for, for all that you've given us, Lord, this beautiful church and, and this uh, opportunity to come back to your house. Lord, life in itself. Lord, we just thank you so much for uh, giving us uh, uh, this time. Lord, go with us throughout this day, whatever we say, whatever we do. Let it be uplifting to you. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.